unique qualities of this man. He had a penetrating intelligence, but without artifice or cleverness, a kindness, but without excessive sentimentality, great humor, but without frivolousness, and the ability to inspire rather than awe. Over time, I became convinced that the Dalai Lama had learned how to live with a genuine sense of fulfillment and a degree of serenity that I had rarely encountered in other people and I was determined to identify the principles that had enabled him to achieve this. I realized, of course, that many of his beliefs needed to be understood in the context of Buddhism, but I began to wonder if one could identify a set of his beliefs or practices that could be utilized by non-Buddhists as well, practices that could be applied to our lives to simply help us become happier, stronger, perhaps less afraid. With these thoughts in mind, I hoped someday to have the opportunity to discuss his views at length and to explore his approach to everyday living. Eventually, the Dalai Lama accepted persistent invitations to come to Arizona, where in addition to his lecture at Arizona State University, he gave an intensive five-day public workshop which was held in a desert setting near Tucson. I arranged to meet with him for long private interviews during his stay in Arizona, and these discussions later continued at his home in Dharamsala. These public talks and private conversations became the basis for much of this book. While I had looked forward to our private conversations with great anticipation, I discovered that we had some initial hurdles to overcome as we struggled to reconcile our differences in perspective. His, as a Buddhist monk, mine as a Western psychiatrist. I began one of our first sessions, for instance, by posing to him certain common human problems, illustrating with several specific case histories and asking for his explanation and advice for dealing with these problems. I was taken aback when, after a long pause and reflection, he simply shrugged his shoulders, laughed good-naturedly, and said, I don't know. When I pressed the issue and I said it was my job as a psychotherapist to find out why people do the things they do, he laughed again and said that since an individual human mind is so complex, one may never have a full explanation of why a person does the things they do, and at any rate, it would be extremely difficult to try to figure out how the minds of five billion different people work. Sensing my discomfort with his response, he explained further. In trying to determine the source of one's problems, it seems that the Western approach differs in some respects from the Buddhist approach. Underlying all Western modes of analysis is a very strong rationalistic tendency and an assumption that everything can be accounted for. But in some instances, the basic premises and parameters set up by Western science can limit one's ability to deal with certain realities. For instance, you have the constraints of various fundamental premises, such as the idea that everything can be explained within the framework of a single lifetime, and you combine these with the notion that everything can and must be explained and accounted for. But this can cause problems when you come across some phenomena which you cannot account for. Then there's a kind of tension created. It's almost a feeling of agony. I pointed out that in Western psychology, when we come across certain behaviors that on the surface are difficult to explain, we have certain approaches we can use, such as understanding the role of the unconscious or subconscious thought processes. In Buddhism, there is the idea of dispositions and imprints left by certain types of experiences, 
which is parallel to the idea of the unconscious. For instance, a certain type of event may have occurred in an earlier part of your life which has left a very strong imprint on your mind, which can remain hidden and then later affect your behavior. I think that Buddhism can accept many of the factors that Western theorists can come up with, but on top of that it would add additional factors. For example, it would add the conditioning and imprints from previous lives. In Western psychology, however, I think that there may be a tendency to overemphasize the role of the unconscious in looking for the source of one's problems. So when you can't explain what is causing certain behaviors or problems, the tendency is to always attribute it to the unconscious. It's a bit like you've lost something and you decide that the object is in this room. And once you have decided this, then you've already fixed your parameters. You've precluded the possibility of its being outside. So you keep on searching, but you are not finding it, yet you continue to assume that it is hidden somewhere in the room. While recognizing these differences between Eastern and Western outlooks, it soon became clear that the Dalai Lama does not feel that one has to adopt a Buddhist perspective when examining human problems. And by the end of our series of discussions, our cultural differences no longer seemed important as we explored the problems common to all human beings. When I initially conceived of the idea for this book, Exploring the Dalai Lama's Views, I envisioned a conventional self-help format in which the Dalai Lama would present clear and simple solutions to all of life's problems. Then, using my background in psychiatry, I could codify his views in a set of easy instructions on how to conduct one's daily life. But as our meetings progressed, I found that his approach was much broader and more subtle than I had imagined, incorporating all the nuance, richness, and complexity life has to offer. Gradually, however, I began to hear the single note he constantly sounded. It is one of hope. His hope is based on the belief that while attaining genuine and lasting happiness is not easy, it can be done. As his message unfolded, it became increasingly clear that his beliefs are not based on blind faith or religious dogma, but rather on sound reasoning and direct experience. His understanding of the human mind and behavior is based on a lifetime of study. His views are rooted in a tradition that dates back over 2,500 years, yet are tempered by common sense and a sophisticated understanding of modern problems. His appreciation of contemporary issues is the result of his unique position as a world figure, which has allowed him to travel the world many times, exposing him to many different cultures and people from all walks of life, and has enabled him to exchange ideas with top scientists and religious and political leaders. What finally emerges is a wise approach to dealing with human problems that is once optimistic and realistic. While omitting some discussions of the more philosophical aspects of Tibetan Buddhism, which can be found in a number of the Dalai Lama's other books, I have sought to present this unique and...